find people. There we go. Okay, um, take your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 2, as we're continuing our series through helpful Bible passages for spiritual growth. Uh, this is one of those passages that's, that's helpful for us to think about um, in many different ways, uh, specifically as it, as it refers to, as it deals with uh, humility and unity in the church. So Philippians chapter 2, it's a familiar passage to a lot of us, but there's some things uh, that are, I think are good to stir up in our minds, and some of us haven't looked at this in a while. So if you find it, Philippians chapter 2. Um, by way of introduction, I want us to go back to verse 27 of chapter 1. So I know we're starting in chapter 2, but look at chapter t- uh, 1 in verse 27. And, and Paul gives uh, the church a goal in this verse. Okay, I'm going to read it and see if you can identify the goal. He says, "...only let your conduct be worthy the gospel of Christ." So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. What would you say in your own words is Paul identifying as his goal for the church, according to that verse? To stand firm. Okay, good. What else? I heard unity and I heard worthy of conduct. Good. What else? Anything? Teamwork, yeah, it's a theme from the missions conference, right? Teamwork. If you look at it carefully, he says, your conduct needs to be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So your behavior needs to be fitting a Christian. And then he says, I want this to happen so that whether I am able to come see you and check on you or I'm not able to do that, I will hear of your affairs. Now, what does that, what does that indicate? If he's hearing about them, it means that people are talking about them. It means that what they're doing is getting out. It's not just something that stays inside. It's not something to just practice inside their house. It goes outside the four walls of their house into the community, into their church. He hears of their affairs. And what exactly does he want to see about their affairs? Look, he says that you stand fast, I heard that, with one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. There is a unity and a direction of gospel-centered, as in the, the mission of spreading the gospel has to be centered and we have to be unified in that mission. Uh, We used to play uh, part of the Fall Fellowship, which we haven't done this in a few years, but part of the Fall Fellowship used to be a giant tug-of-war game, and we would have uh, this big rope, and we would bring it out, and I think it's still down. It might still be down there if we haven't gotten rid of it. Big, big rope, and we would have the old men and the young men, right, and we'd split it somewhere uh, uh, at some arbitrary age, and uh, and we would, we would do tug-of-war. And, and the thing about tug-of-war is everyone's using all this energy, but where is the rope moving? Barely. Like, it's barely moving. When, can you imagine how much faster the rope would move if everyone was pulling the same direction? You know, we are pulling in opposite directions, and we cause no progress at all. All this energy is being expended, and nothing's happening, you know? And that's how a lot of Christian work is being done in churches, is that we are opposed to each other, we are, instead of working together, we're seeing ourselves as fighting one another, and we're opposed to each other, we're competing with each other in a church, and friends, that has no, has no place in, in, church, in church business. We should not be competing with each other. And so, th- instead of the competition mindset, which is everywhere in our world today, competition mindset, what are we to have? What is our, our mindset we're supposed to have instead of a competition mindset? So, um, let's look at verses 1 through 4 of chapter 2. He begins with a call for the blank is unity through humility. Unity through humility. He says, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection of mercy, 
Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. He begins with the command to be unified in our thinking. Okay, so let's walk through this passage. He says we need to be unified in our thinking. And he says, uh, he kind of uses this, um, uh, if you look at the way, that used to confuse me, the way he begins this. He says, if there is any consolation in, in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and mercy. What is, what is he saying? What does that mean? What is he saying? He's saying uh, there is obviously comfort and exhortation in Christ, uh, and there's obviously fellowship of the Spirit, fellowship that comes from the Spirit. I, I read these as uh, consolation that comes from Christ, fellowship that comes from the Spirit, um, affections that, and mercies that come from the people in the church. I think that these as God-directed, the first encouragement that comes from Christ is God-directed. Comfort that comes from love is God-directed. Fellowship that comes from the Spirit is God-directed. And affections and mercies come from each other. We are congregation-directed. If, if this is the case, which is obviously so, you are to be unified. Now look at all the ways he says unified. Um, how many ways does he say be unified? Re, look, in your, look in your Bible. How many, how many different ways does he say that? Four different ways. Like, read them. He says, um, being like-minded. What does that mean? Being like-minded means agreeing, right? It means you have the same attitude about something. You agree you have the same mind about something, okay? Uh, uh, what's the next one? What's the difference between having the same love and being like-minded? Okay, yeah, so one is more geared towards what you're thinking, and one's geared towards your affections, what you love, Right? But both of those are inner, inner man kind of things. If I love the same things as you, I probably am thinking the same way as you are. Okay? If you, if you find somebody who loves what you love, then you probably have a similar mindset. Probably. Keep going. What's the next one? Being of one accord. What's the difference between that and being of the same mind? Sure. I don't think there's that big of a difference is the point I'm making. It's kind of all, what's the last one? Being of one accord? Of one, didn't you just say that? Yeah, being the same mind, having one mind. Here, here's, he's not saying a new thing. I think there may be shades of difference between these. I think what he's just, he's, have you ever piled on using the same thing? Yeah, it's, 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 the, it's a rhetorical technique for emphasis. It's like, it's like he's, he's gotten out the thesaurus and he's just working through them one by one by one, right? Um, there's that old joke of uh, the guy says, I think, why did you steal my thesaurus? He says, I'm outraged. I'm upset. I'm, dis- I'm concerned. I am, uh, you know, how, how you would do such a, say such a thing to me. And, and the idea is, is that, that he just he compounds these one after the other after the other in order to just emphasize you've got to be united. And that is not the natural state of people. I mean, you think about all of um, uh, reality TV right now. Reality television is based on the idea you throw a bunch of people in a room and let them fight, right? That's the basic premise of most of reality TV today is you throw a bunch of people in a room and let them argue with each other and, and disagree. And, and people like and watch that stuff. Um, in a church, we get a bunch of people in a room who have different perspectives, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different languages even, and we're called to be united in Christ, Jew and Gentile even, be united in Christ. So having the same way of thinking. <clears throat> How do we do this? Let's look at verse, uh, verse 3, a way of doing this. He gives us a command. He says, let nothing be done 
through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And so the second thing here is the command to esteem others better than yourself. It's not that you are saying we're on the same level. It's not that you're, you're loving others as you love yourself. He says you love others better. You esteem other people better than you esteem yourself. But he begins by saying nothing should be done. There's none of your actions should be done in this manner. Uh, what, is the, what is the manner that people do these actions with an attitude of what? What are the two things he, he identifies here? Selfish ambition, so self-serving, and conceit is, is the idea of being, um, uh, King James uses the word vainglory, which is a pretty direct translation here, this idea of, of that which is, is vain, that which is worthless, and glorying in it. It's this idea of, of having a conceited mind, of being, being elevated in your own thinking. Don't act that way. If you're going to have unified thinking, you cannot be selfish. Okay, again, this is huge. This is so contrary to the way our world thinks. Think about the way our world, our world constantly thinks about everything in terms of competition. It's this guy versus this guy, and, we, and, and, to, and to compromise, we come to, an, uh, we come to a, a, a compromise, an agreement in the middle somewhere. It's like, it's not, it's not outwardly focused. We're not focusing on Christ. We're focusing on what we believe to be true. Our, we're focusing on ourselves, and we're pitting ourselves against ourselves. It's like even husbands and wives do this. They'll say, they'll say well, well um, I get to choose this, this week. Okay, and you get to choose next week. Uh, we do this with our kids. We let them have turns to sit in the front seat, right? They have, they have months they get to sit in the front seat uh, because there's only one front seat, and they can't all sit there. And so we let them have turns, and they can, it's, like, it's like only one of them gets to do it, and when they're, they're very happy that it's their week. But, you know, uh, adults act that way, too. We compete with each other. We think in terms of, well, I get to he- get my thing heard, or, or, or people treat offices in the church that way. Well, I want to be a deacon because I get to be honored as a deacon. You know, I want to be uh, recognized as a deacon. I want my name on the shepherding group list. I want, you know, I, I, I all me, me, me. If, you, if you're coming at church ministry with a self-centered attitude, you, you will split people uh, right down the middle. You will create division because it's not about Christ anymore. It's about you. So he says, let nothing be done through uh, selfish ambition or conceit, but with an attitude of being lowly of mind. Okay, that means you, nothing is too, you're not too important for anything. Okay, you should esteem others better than yourself. What's a way we can esteem someone else better than ourselves? What's a way we can do that? Let them have their way. Okay, let them have their way. It, give me an example of what that, when that would be appropriate, because you don't always want to do that, right? When would that be appropriate? Yeah, yeah, okay, so there's a, there's a situation where there's like a carpet color, right? And you're thinking, oh, I really don't like gray. Why do they choose gray? Um, oh. <laughs> um, uh, we offer biblical counseling for couples, and if you guys... <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, like if, if it's, it's, it's not demanding your own way, if you're like, you, you know, I will never go to a church with... with um, with gray carpet. I cannot believe they would pick gray carpet. What in the world were they thinking? You know, that kind of a mindset. Yeah, demanding your own way. 
Esteeming others better than yourself is also thinking, I mean, think about all the times in which we are, uh, uh, we don't listen. Just think about this. This is really just a simple thing. When someone's talking and we're not listening to them, um, that, that's very hurtful. Uh, it, it, there's nothing more encouraging than when you're talking to someone and, they, and they're actually listening to what you're saying. They hear you. They ask you questions about what you're saying. They follow, and they, they spend time with you, and they care about you, and they love you. That is esteeming them. That's showing, showing honor to them. You're, you're, you're exalting them. Or, or let me get that for you. Uh, some of the young men in the church, you know, if they could say, hey, let, let me carry that for you. Helping you to, you know, helping you carry something if you're, if you're a little bit older. Or I don't know, there's all kinds of ways. I'm, I'm, the Bible tells us to esteem others, so I'm wondering, do you have any ideas? We ought to be putting this in practice. Jenna? No job. Oh, what's that? No job yeah, there's no job too lowly. So, so don't get offended if someone asks you to sweep the floor. Yeah, Helen? Yeah, just care. I mean, yeah. Just caring. Yeah, and caring for people, actually loving them. Like, not, not pretending, but genuinely caring for people and showing kindness to them and, and having this heart of of love and of esteem. Of, see, our, our culture today ha, has, has a belief in esteem, but what's, this, what's the kind of esteem that our culture promotes? Oh, self-esteem. What is self-esteem? What's a biblical word for self-esteem? Oh, pride, right? Self-love. And, and, and in, the, in the end times, the Bible warns us as men will be lovers of them own, their own selves. If you love yourself, contrary to the way our world teaches, if you love yourself, you will not love people. It's not like you have to fill up your love bucket and love yourself so you can love people. I've heard that taught before. That's not biblical, friends. The Bible nowhere teaches you to love yourself. The Bible teaches you that you already love yourself. And I don't have to convince you of this. I think everyone ate today. And if you ate today, if you took care of yourself today, then you love yourself because you care about yourself. Most people don't have this issue. So our culture loves self-esteem, but we need to be Christians, other esteem. We need to love other people and genuinely care about other people and be polite. Etiquette is something that is involving other people. Like when you are polite, you are showing kindness to other people. When you're on time, you're showing kindness to other people. You're caring about other people's time. When you're late for something and you make everybody wait for you, then you're showing that you don't, really, you don't really care about their time as much as you care about your time. Yeah, and it's very inconsiderate. And it's inconsiderate, right? Yeah. At least in our culture it is. Now, in some cultures, it's not inconsiderate. In some cultures, it's polite to be late. And we're not going there. That's another whole thing. Yes. So the Cambodian missionary was saying, she said that they start, they wait for everybody to get It's a different, yeah. In, in every culture has etiquette, right? Every, there, there's not a, there's not a um, just as a little sidetrack, but there's not a standard. Like, we do it this way because in our culture, um, it's polite to show up on time or to be, you could be a couple minutes late for a, you know, a meal or something if you're going to give them extra bit of time. But don't be late to an appointment. You know, if I, if I say, hey, let's meet, if you say, I need to talk to you, Pastor Marshall, can we meet at 2 o'clock? And I say, sure, I'll put, put you on my calendar for 2 o'clock. If you show up at 4, that's inconsiderate, right? 
and, or if you don't show up at all, that's inconsiderate because it's, it's saying, I don't really care about your time. I, what I'm doing right now is more important than that. Now, obviously, different cultures is different. Like we went to the Philippines. I'll never forget this. Service was supposed to start at like 11 o'clock and they're singing and there's like, everybody's talking on the outside. It's open air. Uh, and both, both you guys are from the Philippines. You know this. And I see you smiling, but like there are people talking and doing their carrying on. They eventually wander in, uh, and eventually they, they start. And ev- eventually, but it was like not. Ex- it was eleven ish. You know, it was more like eleven forty five by the time really got going. But that's that's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about being considerate of other, loving other people, and to them, to love the person in front of you is the most important thing. So that culturally, is you love the person right in front of you. Uh, because that's who God has put. Okay, let's, let's move off that topic. So, esteem others better than yourself. Okay, that is, that is a key. Now we get into the real meat of our passage. We might have to delay all the full thing until next week, but let's look at verse 5, because that's, then he says, okay, this is how you're to be thinking. Let me give you a pattern. So, he gives you a call to Christ-likeness. Now, Christ-likeness is a term we use all the time around here. I'm going to write it out for you. Christ-likeness he says, in, the, the Bible tells us in several different places that we are to be Christ-like, that we are to live, to be conformed to the image of His Son. We are to be, we are to try to become like Christ. Christ is our pattern. We are to follow. We are to walk in His steps. I mean, there's so many examples of verses like that, that Jesus is our example to follow. And if you look at what He says in verse 5, He gives us the pattern for humility. He says, let this mind, when He says mind, this is the word attitude in English. So mind has to do with attitude. Let this attitude or perspective or way of thinking be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And now he's going to explain the kind of attitude Jesus had. Now, when he gets into this explanation of the kind of attitude Jesus has, he explains his incarnation, that's Jesus coming in the flesh, as his greatest humiliation. The humbling here. Now, let's look at it. Verse 6 who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Okay, I want you to notice a few things. First, uh, the humility behavior. Okay, first, the humility mindset is Christ. The humility behavior, I'm going to give you the answer before we look at it, is obedience. This is the key idea. The attitude is humility, but his behavior is obedience. This is really key. I want you to see what he says here. Being in the form of God. Now, this is not teaching that Jesus was sort of God. It's saying that he was in every way God. That I put this out on your sheet here. He, he, he is having all the rights and all the privileges of being in every way God. Because before the incarnation, before Christ came into the world as a child, we have the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, the Trinity. The eternal Son of God who, who existed in eternity past uh, with the Father and the Spirit as, as Trinity. And in, in, in creating the worlds, we have that in Colossians 1. So we know that, that he, is, he is in the beginning, John 1, 1, was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So in this, Christ existing in pre-existence, or pre, yeah, pre, um, uh, the pre, pre-creation, being in the form of God, now, what does this phrase mean? Did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Um, this can be confusing, but I wanted to break it down for you. Literally, it means this. Did not consider being equal with God something to be grasped. Okay? 
So he is in every way equal with God. He is in the form of God. Morphe theo. Okay, he's in the form of God. That's, and he does not count that equality as something to be grasped. Our translation says robbery because when you rob somebody, what do you do? You grab something, right? You go by, you pick up something, grab it. But that's not, that, that, that kind of communicates it. But the idea here is a little bit more, I think, more nuanced. Look at the meaning I gave you there on your sheet. He, this is Marshall's translation. Did not think about equality with God as something to be held on to. Okay. I want you to, to think about the contrast here with, with Adam and Eve in the garden. What did Satan tempt Eve with? You shall be like gods, knowing good and evil. And what did Eve do? She grasped at the fruit. Okay? She grasped at equality with God. She was not God, had no right to be God, but wanted to be. And in her, her humility as a person, as God made her as a creation, she does not possess the knowledge of God, does not possess the power of God or the equality of God, yet that's what she wanted. And so she grasped at it, and Adam likewise grasped at equality with God. And so here Christ is set apart, set in contrast to Adam who grasped at equality with God. Jesus, having equality with God, did not grasp onto it, but let it go in this sense. He says that instead of holding on to it, he emptied himself. He made himself of no reputation. So the blank there is to empty himself. Now, what did he empty? Some people have mistakenly taught that he emptied himself of his attributes of God. That's not what it's teaching. It's teaching that he poured himself out. He emptied of the object of the emptying is himself. That's your other blank there. Look at uh, chapter 2 and verse 17. Um, Paul, using this analogy of how Christ emptied himself, just like there, there were these uh, drink offerings in the Old Testament, you know, the drink offerings, they would pour out a drink offering to the Lord. Um, if you spill a drink onto the ground, you cannot collect it again to be drunk. It is spilled out. The picture of being poured out or, or humbled here, that's what Christ is doing. He's emptying himself. And Paul in, uh, in chapter 2 and verse 17 says, yes, if, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad to rejoice with you all. So he identifies himself also. He says, I too am being poured out. And that in our translation, as a drink offering is in italics, meaning that this is added for clarity but it's not in the original. If you take that out, it says, yes, and if I am being poured out on the sacrifice and service of your faith. The idea of same thing. He's, he, is, he has adopted the mind of Christ. Christ poured himself out, so Paul says, I too will pour myself out. And what did his humility mean? It meant the taking on of a physical body and the appearance of a man. That's what he says in verse 8. He says, being found in the appearance as a man he humbled himself. Jesus, fully God, fully man, was humbled. He humbled himself, and there's our key word, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So I want to just draw this out for a second. Christ, the Son of God, we should say form of God here, 
being in the form of God, not accounting God equality, uh, not accounting quality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself, humbled himself, the form of a man, and became obedient unto death. Death on a cross. Do you see the downward humbling? It's like a stacking upon stacking upon stacking. He, he is creator of the worlds. And what does he do? He humbles himself. Takes on the form of man. And then there's actually a word servant here, right? Where's the word servant? Is it between bond servant? Where is that fall? After man, we have bond servant or slave. Became obedient to death. Death on the cross. So the humility of Christ is extreme. And, and we, we won't step down to pick up a piece of trash because it's below us. Like, like the humility here is, uh, is, is far beyond any humility we will ever have to show. And Paul's just saying, hey, just have this mindset. Just be humble with each other, and you'll have unity. Unity, disunity is caused by pride. It's not caused by disagreements. It's caused by pride. When people are prideful, and they are not unified, when they are not steaming others better than themselves, or not being Christ-like, what is Christ-likeness? Christ-likeness is humility. This is Christ-likeness. And so he says all of this, be humbled even to the point of the cross, even to the death on the cross. But I want you to notice that um, I should fill these blanks in. Humility and obedience to God are connected. Humility, he humbled himself and became obedient. If you're disobedient, you're not humble. If you're humble, you're obedient. Okay? And pride and disobedience are connected. And, and many have said, I think rightly, that almost all sin or all sin is rooted in pride. You can trace all sin back to a prideful heart. Because if you're humble, you acknowledge God and His authority and you, and you trust Him and you believe Him and you obey Him. So I want to I finish this one point. I think we can get there. The result, the, the humility benefit. So what's the benefit of humility? You're saying, oh, Pastor Marshall, you're saying I got to just be, be, be driven to death. Yeah, that's the point. I die daily, right? Take up my cross and follow him. The, 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 uh, in 2 Corinthians, he talks about that we are a, a, a sweet-smelling aroma, the, the, the parade of victory, the death march to follow Christ. Like we are the conquered. But that's not the end of the story. And this is what's wonderful. Look at the next verse. Therefore, verse 9, God, who, did the, who, who does this? God has what? Has also not just exalted him, but highly exalted him and given him a, a name above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Things in heaven, things on earth, things under the earth. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In his humiliation, what happens after the cross? Instant exaltation. 
There's no step-by-step exaltation. It is instant exaltation. Therefore, and who does the exalting? God the Father. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow. And if you notice in verse 10, he says that they should all call him Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, the word Lord there is not just the Lord ma- word master. The word Lord is what they would use in the Old Testament to talk about the name of God, Jehovah or Yahweh. So every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is God, is Jehovah, is Yahweh. That's what's being confessed. Uh, my, that's what I believe is being confessed there in verse 10 and 11. The, and, this, and this actually parallels a Christian's life. Let's look at a couple verses. As we wrap this up, look at chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay? You could say that's this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. You do, you do what you're supposed to do, and God will exalt you God, in due time. If you keep reading, go down to chapter 3. In verse 20, there's a lot of analogies here. In verse 20, he says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will what? Transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body by the working by which he is able to do all things to himself. Christ will glorify us. We humble ourselves, we're obedient, we follow the path of Christ, and one day we too will be exalted by God. But it's not our doing, it's God who does that. And we'll, be receive, we'll receive uh, heavenly rewards, we will uh, walk with him, and we'll have fellowship with him, we'll be glorified. This is what we have to look forward to. I want to conclude by um, reading a passage from Matthew chapter 20, um, when Jesus was speaking, he says, Mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand, the other on your left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to di- drink of the cup I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism I am a baptized with? They said, We are able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and my left hand is not mine to give, but is for those to whom is prepared by my father. When the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles, Lord it over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. Look at verse 26 if you're there. But yet it shall not so be among you. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is our example. We ought to be servants. We ought to be humble. And what that means is nothing is too good for us. We ought to always serve and love other people and be gracious with other people. Okay, I kind of ran through that last part a little fast. I hope that made sense. Any questions or, or thoughts as we wrap it up? Yes? Make sense? Okay. What an example. What an example. All right. Um, let's close the prayer.
Father, we love you and we thank you for the example given by our Lord Jesus in his incarnation and humility of the thousands of humble things he did in his life. To choose this to be the example just reiterates to us um, how far we have to go to emulate you and what we must be willing to do to live a Christ-like life. Lord, I pray you strip away our pretenses, our self-esteem, and let us esteem others better than ourselves, that we would place the priorities of others over us, we would care about other people, and you'd help us to walk with you like we should. Forgive us our shortcomings, Lord, and our sins, and help us to be obedient to you and live a life of humility and obedience, rejecting pride and disobedience. Lord, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.